Welcome back to Courageous Conversations with Women Investing in Leadership Development. I'm Kim Alexander, and Lady Shauna Watley is also with us today. We are just excited to continue our series on mental wellness. And today we're going to have a courageous conversation about policy and advocacy. Uh, we want to just explore uh, during the pandemic what are some key issues that can be addressed as it relates to policy and advocacy. And we are just excited to have with us us today, Ashley Duffy. And I have the honor of getting a chance to introduce you uh, to her. She is from Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and she currently resides in Washington, D.C. She is a proud grad of Hampton University with her Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and Drexel University with her Master's in Public Policy, which makes her perfect for this discussion. She's a member of the Faith United Methodist Church, and she serves on their Women's Missionary Board, Ministry Board. Um, she is a former State of Delaware Youth of the Year winner and was awarded the Boys and Girls Club of America, awarded by the Boys and Girls Club of America. She gives back to the Boys and Girls Club by serving as an advisor for the Milford Boys and Girls Club's Youth of the Year Award Program, and she works extensively with their board to prepare their Youth of the Year for the annual state and regional competitions administered by the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Ashley served as Congressional Staffer for U.S. Senator Tom Carper. As a Congressional Staffer, Ashley managed and resolved hundreds of constituent causes uh, cases and various federal agencies. She is an expert in congressional relations, public policy, and federal legislation in her spare time. She enjoys reading, writing, and mentoring youth. Ashley is devoted to helping young people further their education and achieve their career goals. Good afternoon, Ashley. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well. How are you? Good. Just excited to have you as part of this conversation. Thank you. I'm excited as well and really appreciate the opportunity to join you. And thank you, Ashley. Um, I um, appreciate you joining us as well today. And it is my honor to um, introduce our second guest and policy expert who is an amazing African-American woman in her own right. And she is a good friend. And so it just gives me pleasure. And she's a partner with um, Wild because um, she has <clears throat> invested in our conferences. Black Women's Health Imperative has been a strong strategic partner with us. And so we are grateful to have Tammy Boyd with us to just to give you a little bit of big, little bit of background about Tammy. Tammy is the Chief Policy Officer and Senior Counsel for the Black Women's Health Imperative. She leads the Strategic Policy and Government Affairs Direction for the organization. She has extensive experience in creating and executing federal legislative policy strategy and facilitating outreach to members of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate, as well as the White House. Previously, Ms. Boyd served as managing partner for TKB Global Strategies, Watts Partners, where she successfully executed government affairs strategies through engagement of the U.S. House of Representatives, the United States Senate, and federal agencies such as the Food and Drug Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, and the Department of Veteran Affairs. Along with her past roles in corporate with Johnson & Johnson, 
Boyd has served as legislative director for Congressman, the late Congressman John Lewis from Georgia, where she, ex, excuse me, exercised over, oversight over legislative activities within the office. She was the senior staffer, staffer that drafted the legislation elevating the Office of Minority Health and Health Disparities to a center at the NIH, now an institute. Tammy is a member of the American Bar Association, National Bar Association, Mississippi Bar Association, American Public Health Association, and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Boyd has been featured in numerous publications, including USA Today, Huffington Post, and Essence Magazine, as one of the chief strategists that drafted the legislation that created the Smithsonian National African American History and Culture Museum. She has received an MPH degree from Emory University School of Public Health and a Juris Doctorate degree from American University Washington College of Law. It gives me great pleasure to welcome you, Tammy, and thank you so much for joining us today with Ashley to talk about policy and advocacy as it relates to mental health. Thanks for being here. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation. Look forward to the conversation. Well, we want to just start out just by um, finding out a little bit of what got you into this field. Uh, both of you are heavily into policy and advocacy in different areas. And I just was curious to know what is it that drew you to this and, and what's been your motivation behind the work that you do? Okay, so I can start, is that okay? Sure. All right, so personally, I consider myself a product of the power of advocacy and always have. I have been afforded very valuable opportunities as a result of those who have advocated for me, not only as a woman, but as a black woman. I have always been extremely grateful for the opportunities that I have been granted as a result of other champions who have advocated for rights that I have been afforded. And this sparked my personal interest in advocacy. In my current field of work, what I enjoy most is having the opportunity to pay it forward and advocate for others. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to work on federal mental health legislation that aims to improve the quality of mental health care and ensure equitable access to mental health services. Thank you, Ashley. Um, Tammy, can you share with us a little bit about um, your background and how you came to be engaged with mental health issues as it relates to Black women as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would say um, in terms of my interest in um, policy really stemmed from my early work with Congressman John Lewis and really um, learning and, 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 and seeing the way that um, and learning more about some of the historical significance of how advocacy really moved our country forward in policy. And so many of the things that have happened um, positive for, for African-Americans has really been through law and my, my background also as a, as a lawyer, but then also through policy. And, and, and really just saw the importance of being able to empower and um, teach advocacy to, to black women, to um, younger, younger generation. It's really the place um, I would say that my, my early interest in advocacy really, um, you will find the origins there. Um, so that's what sparked my interest and that's where, um, you know, I'm really interested in and in really it overlays into the work I do today. 
Well, that's awesome. Um, both of you have really um, amazing careers. And as black women in a field that I work in as well, um, it's just a delight to see you all, you know, using the skills and your knowledge and education to move issues forward that have a direct impact on the African-American community and black women. And so, you know, now that we're living in a world of a, the pandemic and COVID, mental health has really been at the forefront um, because it's had such an impact on our mental wellness. You know, even if we're not physically um, dealing with COVID, we are mentally dealing with COVID. And so um, I would love to hear from both of you just how, um, from your perspective, this pandemic has, um, has been able to generate more interest in mental health and people seeing it not in a way of a, as a stigma, but something that we really do have to deal with and address. And I just, Ashley, you can start. That's a great question. Uh, COVID-19 has definitely accelerated the urgency of access to mental health treatment and has impacted the introduction of legislation needed to allocate these resources. Congress has introduced laws such as the recently passed National Suicide Hotline Designation Act of 2020. This law designates a three-digit universal telephone number for the National Suicide Prevention and Mental Health crisis hotline operating through the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This law is still in the process of being implemented and it will take effect in 2022. A greater detail on this law can be found on congress.gov. Uh, but I must say that laws like these aim to increase access to mental health services and like you said, remove the stigma behind requesting and seeking mental health treatment. And I personally believe that the pandemic has really helped shed light and more comfort on having this dialogue. Yeah, and I can sort of add to um, what Ashley uh, mentioned, um, you know, but first, you know, um, just to give a little background on Black Women's Health Imperative, um, where I am, and um, it's a national nonprofit um, dedicated to advancing health equity and social justice for Black women um, across the life, lifespan through policy, advocacy, education, research, and leadership development. And so we really try to identify the most pressing health issues um, that affect the nation's 22 million Black women and girls. Um, so like many of us, you know, when the pandemic um, first started, you know, Black Women's Health Imperative, we had to quickly pivot um, into sort of the uh, a digital and virtual conversations. Um, and really initially it was just to get, you know, credible um, information out there. And we partnered with the Co National Coalition of 100 Black Women, and we did a series of um, virtual conversations, our, um, our health, our community, um, and we did them geographically um, from um, ten look, um, concentrated in Tennessee to Washington, D.C., where we had um, the mayor, we had the health director, we had key stakeholders from NCBW um, to just talk, and um, also um, key officials from um, the many, the publics, the schools in the area, just to talk about and, and really, again, provide credible um, information. 
And so as we, um, one of the things that we saw from that as we uh, went through those conversations was that, you know, black women were being hit particularly hard. Um, not only A, they were the frontline workers, the essential workers, uh, which thereby meant that they were more likely to be exposed. We also, even in terms of the statistics, um, African-Americans, um, were disproportionately impacted, you know, um, who had underlying health disparities such as obese, obesity, um, diabetes, um, asthma, were some of the hypertension, were some of the areas. And so even beyond that, um, when we even saw the job numbers, um, Black women were the first, you know, were uh, women, generally speaking, but then even Black women more so um, were, were ahead of the line in terms of being impacted. Um, and so one of the things that we want that we did from those conversations was that we um, released a pandemic guide, um, surviving and thriving uh, the pandemic. And so um, a part of that, we saw mental health as a key that just kept coming up in every conversation was the mental health aspect. Um, and so we um, provided a, we, we released a uh, pandemic guide, Surviving and Thriving, but in there we had, you know, just mental health tools. What do, what do you find, you know, if you need to talk, talk to someone? You know, what do you do um, in terms of self-care? And, and really to promote that, we even had Black women sort of give real stories um, who have been resilient and who were, you know, were able to, to survive through, um, to talk about how they survived through the pandemic, um, to just provide to us, like what their tools were. Um, so we quickly saw um, that we needed to um, provide some support, that we needed to um, um, provide self tools around self-care. We also sent out um, wellness boxes as well that just had things, you know, just normal things that we may take for granted, like, you know, face mask or, um, you know, water bottles and just things that, um, different games, things that just really promoted self-care, things that make us happy. Um, so um, definitely the mental health aspect, um, not only in terms of just self-care of Black women and sort of taking a closer look, but then also, as Ashley mentioned, I mean, um, we were definitely advocating and supporting legislation on Capitol Hill um, and in the CARES Act and the different um, vehicles that were there around mental health and really trying to push mental health, particularly as it impacted Black women. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tammy, for that. I think the work that the Black Women's Health Imperative is doing is, is key in this area. I like the idea of the pandemic guide, and I'm hoping that at the end of the call, at the end of this podcast, we can talk about ways to have access to that information, because it definitely is about um, increasing awareness and increasing access and removing the stigma um, as we talked earlier, Ashley, you were talking about policy and things that are in place. And um, if we were to think about what um, some of the key policy platform issues are for Black women's mental health right now, um, what do you all, what, what does that look like? Uh, and where should we be supporting legislation in this area? That's an excellent question. Uh, on, on a federal level, uh, I personally believe that um, it would be important to focus on uh, maternal health um, as well as, uh, you know, Black girls as well as we, we have younger ages, um, young adults as well, and the impact of 
the societal determinants and, and societal factors as that relates to education, home life, uh, food and nutrition, and just kind of finding that balance. I do believe that those are very key areas as we think about Black females, uh, both girls and women, and their mental health. And the work that I currently do, it is primarily focused heavily on federal legislation. So I will also defer to Tammy for a more you know, specific answer. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, I agree with you in terms of uh, maternal health um, and specifically black maternal health. I mean, black women um, die in childbirth with three, they're three to more, three to four more times likely to die in childbirth. And so, um, you know, I think that the black women have really, they really came together over the last couple of years in sort of pushing um, and advocating for addressing the black maternal health crisis. Um, I mean, just recently we saw where President Biden signed a proclamation uh, in terms of ways and awareness around black maternal health and the crisis. Um, um, a secretary, uh, I want to say Congressman, but Secretary Becerra, um, Javier Becerra uh, of the Health and Human Services also held a um, maternal, Black Maternal Health Roundtable as well as, well as um, VP Harris. Um, but she was also a key advocate um, when she was in the Senate um, and she was the chief sponsor on the Senate side in terms of pushing the Black Maternal Health um, issue. But we, we have definitely been it's definitely a key area, um, and we probably can, we'll probably talk about it later. But we are also a part of the Maternal um, Mental Health Alliance, where we're also advocating for um, um, resources and funding to support um, women um, who are uh, for mothers and in the mental health. That's awesome. You know, um, one of the things, Tammy, um, as you know, I follow you all on um, Instagram and LinkedIn and you all do an amazing job as really trying to get, you know, you develop these amazing programs talking about issues that really do impact African-American women. But one of the things that I, I particularly like about LinkedIn when you all um, uh, put out your information on LinkedIn is not just black people seeing what's going on or impacting African-American women and African-American health. You know, it is being, a, you're exposing these issues to others so that we can just begin to develop strong allies and um, voice our concerns to others who are in this space. Um, and so I, I just wanted to um, note that and congratulate you all on, on, on your efforts because I do think it's it's helpful. And it certainly keeps me, I, I do some health policy, but I don't do it every day, but I do look at LinkedIn every day. And so it keeps me abreast of what's going on and what's on the front burners for African-American health and African-American um, women's health in particular. And as you know, we have this conversation, you know, just my own personal um, you know, testimony, it's been tough um, through these last, particularly these last few months, because we as women, you know, we have work, work has been absolutely crazy. Um, you have the COVID, you're trying to be healthy and dealing with your own self-help and, and awareness and your family members, where it's, whether it's your immediate family or extended family. And um, I just, I had to get, and then let's not even 
let's not forget the grief that we're dealing with. We're losing people in our communities, whether it's you know senior statesmen and women, um, down to you know individuals that we interact with at our churches or organizations, and even our own personal families. And you layer that on top of you know just dealing with the pandemic, a pandemic we've never seen the likes of before. And you know we're a free society, and we're used to moving around and do what we, doing what we want to do. Um, it just I just realized you know what I probably should get some counseling just so that I can have somebody that I can you know release all this to and it's been very helpful you know I I would love to hear so the first point I wanted to make was thank you for both of you for the work that you're doing on the hill and this is why it's important to have people that look like us in these positions because then the squeaky wheel gets the grease And if we don't have individuals who understand the process, who understand policy, who can talk to whether their member is, you know, their their boss is a member of the CBC or not, um, but individuals who hold these positions on the Hill, who can weigh in, and then to have advocacy organizations that's applying pressure, that's how we are able to get legislation included in, you know, the COVID relief package or, you know, so I just, I commend you for the work that you're doing because I know it's having a huge impact. Um, and so I would like for you all to speak a little bit about why it's important for young people who are considering what their next step is after they graduate, why looking at policy and um, public policy as a career choice is um, important. Tammy, you can start and then, you know, Ashley, you can weigh in. Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely training our younger people in the pipeline is is, is so key. Um, we have a um, My Sister's Keeper program, which is uh, we have um, MSK programs um, across the country at different H, it focuses on HBCUs. So at different HBCUs. Um, and, you know, when we were all in person, we would we brought 70 women to Capitol Hill and we talked to them. We did a, we had a whole day, spent a whole day just talking about the different components of advocacy, empowering them, just teaching, just talking to them and teaching them the process. Um, and then we had different members of Congress come speak to them. They actually, actually went to offices. Um, and so, um, you know, as mentioned earlier, I mean, one of the things I learned from working with Congressman Lewis and many of those many of the civil rights leaders, they were really young. They were 17, 18, 19, 21. And they, what they did fundamentally help transform the, the society that we are all able to live in and some of the opportunities that we are able to take advantage of. Um, and so just really making the connection between um, the, the, the um, with, with our age group, with the older generation versus the younger people, it's, it's key. So that they, cause they're really the ones who will carry the country to the next place, um, you know, and carry the torch. And so it's just really important to kind of prepare them and share with them how, um, you know, advocacy and the importance of policy and not to even go on even more, but particularly where our country is now. I mean, many of the people you see out there now protesting and, and they're so very passionate and they're, they're younger folks, right? Mm-hmm. So giving them the tools um, and, and talking to them about some of the things that we did, how we were able or how this country is able in the past to, um, re- to really transform and get key, uh, make a key social impact. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. 
Ashley, you have anything to add there? Yes, I, I definitely completely agree with the uh, great points that Tammy made and just kind of want to uh, echo that. Uh, when I attended Hampton University, I was the vice president of their 100 member women's caucus. Mm -hmm. And prior to joining Hampton University, coming from Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, a very small town, small town girl, uh, I never imagined going to, uh, you know, not only going to HBCU, but then stepping up to the plate and being, uh, just having the, the, the strength and the courage to lead, you know, a hundred women on our campus. And, but it was life-changing. Mm -hmm. And to your point and to your question, I do feel like it's extremely important, you know, for mentors such as the ones that I had who encouraged me, you know, to really look at the world around me uh, and really see where, you know, the resources are needed, what changes need to, be, need to be made and to follow through and be that pipeline to help move the needle. And so the, the best way you can do it is to take action, right? And so uh, that really helped to plant the seed for my interest in policy mm -hmm. and my interest in legislation, and which is what encouraged me to pursue my degree at Drexel University in public policy. Uh, and also while attending uh, Drexel University, I also mentor, I was a mentor, a mentee, excuse me, for, Councilman Curtis Jones, which was the majority leader councilman for Philadelphia. And he allowed me to handle constituent services, to sit in on hearings and round tables uh, with local mayors and city council members. So like you said, it's extremely important to encourage and to really just plant that seed in individuals uh, that are, you know, young in age and kind of starting off in their lives and in their careers. And you know, they just need to know that their voice is heard and that their presence is needed. Uh, I must also admit, I was raised by my grandmother, right? And she raised me in a very spiritual household. And uh, so just having that foundation of knowing that I can also take what may have appeared to be an obstacle and actually what was an obstacle, right? You know, but God turned it around and, you know, I was able to have very active and very present and very powerful church leaders, mentors, professors, and the like, you know, that said, hey, you know, take your obstacles, look at the world around you and, you know, be that voice for others. And I think we need more of that today. And like Tammy said, it really is enlightening and refreshing to see young people today of speaking out and participating in the Black Lives Matter movement and really taking advantage of, uh, you know, what is going on and making their voices heard because our nation needs to see this and they need to hear them. Thank you so much for that. I, I love this emphasis on, on youth and youth understanding that they have the ability to have advocacy. Um, Tammy, your point about how young John Lewis was when they were involved. And it makes me think that these times that we are living in um, are really creating and shaping and molding 
the leaders that we will have in the future, um, just to be able to endure this pandemic. I am a parent to an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old. Um, my oldest is at Howard and my youngest is graduating from high school and they are very passionate about things. And I think that the challenge for us um, as uh, possible mentors is to be able to figure out how to um, help them not just to be reactive, but to be proactive. And um, for me, I'm a person who I've worked in healthcare, but uh, policy is not typically my area of, that's usually Shauna's area of, of expertise. So how would um, a person who um, feels a little intimidated by policy and the legislative process, um, what are some things that, that we can do and, and encourage our youth and young people to do to get engaged as it relates to making changes? Um, because I think, um, being upset about things is one thing, but things don't change unless laws change, unless policy is created. That's where uh, change really begins to happen. So what, what would be some suggestions or are there policies that are currently out that we can support or how do we get engaged and get our, our youth engaged? Yeah, I would definitely say, um, you know, definitely not, uh, you know, telling our youth not to be, you should not be intimidated by it all that, you know, essentially you're, you know, you, our youth are, you know, young people, you know, once, once they hit 18 will definitely be the ones who actually vote these people in. So you essentially are their bosses in a sense. Um, but if there's an issue that you feel passionate about, I think they, you know, young people are doing a great job at this, but, um, and I think Shauna also alluded to this, you know, building coalitions, diverse coalitions, um, you know, maybe the coalition doesn't have to look all, you know, like you, um, but you all um, are all um, a one, you know, you all um, agree on one potential way to impact a particular policy piece that you may be um, very passionate about. Um, you know, definitely, re you know, reach out to your member of Congress, send them emails, call them, um, you know, really, and, and as you said, the squeaky, the squeaky wheel is the one that, you know, um, essentially is the one that's heard and will get what they're asking for. But we, you know, A, um, you know, definitely get involved. Um, we, the need is there. We need the younger folks um, and just really empowering them, but then giving them a roadmap on A, you know, these are some of the tools that you need to do. Call your member of Congress, call your state senator, call, because all laws, also we're talking federal, but all, there are things that happen on your state level they are just as important, you know. Um, we can see uh, what's happening in Georgia. Um, I mean, the, the Georgia voter suppression laws happen at the state level, um, and so you know, really getting involved, um, calling your member of Congress, and holding forms, making your voices voice heard, um, and just building the coalitions are definitely key ways um, for youth to advocate. Ashley, did you have something you, I saw you getting ready? Yes, I absolutely agree with Tammy, building coalitions. And, you know, I thoroughly believe that you're more powerful in numbers, which speaks to that fact. You know, finding those around you who share similar views or who have, you know, that same conviction, like this isn't, this isn't right, whether that 
relates to mental health laws uh, on disparity, equity, access. That could even relate to gun laws or education reform. It, you know, there whatever is in your heart, it exists, right? And there's someone else uh, in this nation who needs uh, to be represented, or you know, who also has uh, a similar need or concern. So, to Tammy's point, I also agree that it is it's imperative that uh, people constantly build skills and educate themselves on important issues that are near and dear to their heart. Uh, the more you can relate to it, the more it hits home, I truly believe the more effective you, know, you will be. It is important to constantly research and become involved in important advocacy efforts that you are personally passionate about. And again, the more informed you are about a particular advocacy area, whatever that may be, the more effective you will be at determining and conveying the remaining work that needs to be done to elected officials. So when you reach out to your elected officials, right? And coming from you know, being a congressional staffer, right? And working in a congressional office. I mean, I was impressed by certain constituents who came in they did their homework, you know, and they said, this is the law, this is the bill, you know, have you thought about it this way? And these are very effective and very useful to our members of Congress and Senate. And we do, as, a, as congressional staffers, we do relay those messages to the senators and they do also work with the committees, you know, the abiding committee. And that does get uh, some of that gets incorporated into these laws. So as they say, closed mouths do not get fed. And when you speak up, you know, you will start to see the, the changes and the impact. But it is important, again, to be well-informed, to know what exists, and to be able to determine what you feel there is a lack of or more of a, a, a need for. And that will help to move things forward in the right direction. Thank you, Ashley. I couldn't agree more with both what you and Tammy stated. Um, and it's so interesting um, when our voices are um, being heard, then things do start to shift. And, you know, we're seeing that um, just with, you know, how HBCUs are being funded now and, and corporate America taking an interest more in, in our institutions um, and, and recognizing um, the value in them. And even, um, you know, I worked in the Senate many, many years ago um, for Senator Bob Perry from Nebraska in the 90s. And um, back then, when I first started, there were no um, African-Americans in the Senate. And by the time that I left, Carol Mosley Braun was a senator, the first Black woman senator um, in the Senate. But now, and I'm certain you both have seen this over your careers, you know, it, I'm really excited about like some of the legislation that's coming out of the Senate. We would see it in the House because we had more representation in the House. We had the CBC who was interested in, in advocating on behalf of the African-American community. But now you had, you know, you have Senator Booker who's sponsoring legislation that impacts African-American urban communities. Um, and then, you know, he um, is very good at um, putting issues out there that impact our community um, directly. Senator Harris, now Vice President Harris, as you all talked about, was a strong advocate 
for African-American women and um, uh, maternal mortality. Um, so it just excites me to see, you know, folks that are being elected who actually will introduce legislation that has a direct impact on our community where we didn't always see that before. And so I don't know if you all um, would like to just share some of the surprises or some of the things that you've seen over the course of your career, um, whether it's related to mental health or other issues that are important to you um, that are, are getting a little bit more attention now um, when they didn't really have that before. Yeah, so I can go here and then I can, and I think Ashley, you probably have more information on some of this than I do. Um, I think one of the ones that's definitely surprising, I mean, as we talk about the youth and we talk about, you know, how laws and policy has really been some of the fundamental ways it's changed the country. Um, I think, for example, Senator Warren and the anti-racism in public health, which mm -hmm. seems to be an entire sort of new I don't want to call it movement, but we're starting to now do another, we're going to another place where we're trying to do the hard work and how to really dismantle some of the, you know, systemic racism in our society. Um, one of the things when we talk about COVID is because of COVID, again, we went to, um, there was a, you know, quickly adopted um, uh, digital transformation and technology, but then there's these health disparities. And so, mm -hmm. Some of the folks who have the health disparities and some of these the underserved didn't necessarily have access to Wi-Fi or computers or different things. And so really looking at that, that's almost a system, a, a system that sort of perpetuates overall systemic racism, mm -hmm. underserved on top of the digital divide. But this whole anti-racism and public health, um, I mean, I was just def definitely very surprising that some of, of the non- um, uh, black members have, e even they are um, introducing legislation um, for our community. Um, so I don't know, but you, you probably have more information on anti-racism, public health, um, Ashley, but I mean, that's definitely a shot in terms of how um, Congress is sort of grappling and, and every chance they get, they're putting um, lines even into the all types of legislation about addressing this. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I must echo, echo and, and reiterate um, similarly that I, I was also surprised myself, you know, about that legislation. And like you said, it's very impactful to have someone who is not, you know, African American, you know, um, to actually introduce and you know draft these laws and i just think uh that speaks volumes in itself uh and so as you as uh, tammy stated senator elizabeth warren introduced the anti-racism and public health act of 2020 in the senate um and for centuries structural racism uh, which has been defined by the national museum of african-american history and culture as an overarching system of racial bias across institutions and society in the US has negatively affected communities of color. Uh, structural racism serves as a major barrier, as we all know, to achieving health equity and eliminating racial and ethnic inequities in health outcomes that exist at alarming rates. Uh, so this specific bill that Senator Warren uh, introduced requires the federal government to create a center 
to be referred to as the National Center on Anti-Racism and Health. And this center must promote public health by declaring racism a public health crisis and naming as a historical and present threat to the physical and mental health and well-being of the US and world. Uh, it also by aiming to develop new knowledge in the science and practice of anti-racism, including by identifying the mechanisms by which racism operates in the provision of healthcare and in systems that impact health and well-being. So I just think that speaks volumes, you know, to, to see that we're living in this age where, you know, the, the message is out and that, and we have more allies as you stated earlier. And that is, that's critical, you know, to making momentum and moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I am surprised as well um, that we are at this place and in this space. Um, I, I love when you talk about the fact that it's not just healthcare, it's the digital divide, it's all of these things coming together and how they impact us, um, not just as African-American women, but as a people um, and how um, changes in this area uh, make me hopeful that I can say one day my children's children's children will be not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But I am, um, as we talk about these things, I want to make sure that we are able to provide our listeners with a way to learn more about their state and lo local elected officials and how to get information and how to reach out and make their voices heard and, um, just talk a little bit about what are, what's the process for doing that? And are there any challenges related to reaching out and making change happen? Yes, I would say, you know, uh, first I would say, you know, find out who your representative is. I mean, you could really, there, there, you can actually just Google and, um, and go to the United States Senate web, webpage and the house webpage. Um, you know, find out some, there are also asks where you can put in your zip code, which will tell you exactly who your member of Congress is, who your United States Senator is. Um, and then also, you know, please, I mean, you can come to Black, you can definitely send us questions at Black Women's Health Imperative, which is www.bwhi.org. Um, and then again, look for, you know, different associations or groups that are um, pulling together these coalitions may, may be around your particular issue. So, for example, if you're very if you're very um, uh, interested in um, maternal health, Black Women's Health Imperative, we have information. There's Black Mamas Matter. There's uh, you know March of Dimes. There's there's different organizations that have that are working and advocating these areas. If if it's you know even for example if it's um, you know something around um, um, maternal uh, mental maternal health maternal Mental health. As I mentioned, there's um, a group called Maternal Mental Health Alliance, Leadership Alliance. Uh, so there are definitely these groups out here with whatever issue you're interested in. And there are definitely also programs on your local HBCU campus um, as well. So there are numerous resources um, that are available to you. I mean, if you, if there, and then if all is fell and you cannot find that, you know, what you're looking for, pull together, you know, conversations 
with your friends from your high school or your, um, you know, your, your outside organizations that you are a part of, um, and then collectively reach out to your member of Congress. So um, there are definitely ways, um, and again, we're happy to answer any questions from anyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yes, I, I definitely want to, to add uh, that, um, as Tammy stated, you know, individuals should definitely familiarize themselves with their local, state, and federal officials. And this information is provided online, um, and they have websites. You know, you, as Tammy stated, they can type in their uh, zip code, and it, it will pop up and show what, who their member of Congress is or who their state rep is. Um, and also, don't shy away from your governor's office, because I, when I worked uh, for Senator Carper, we did work closely with the, with the governor's office as well. And a lot of the time, what happens is one will speak to the other, right? So if you have an issue or a matter and you're not sure whose jur jurisdiction is under, just contact one of them and they will do a friendly trade-off. So I don't want anyone to shy away from contacting someone if they're not sure which jurisdiction it may fall under, whether that's local, state, or federal. But uh, as Tammy stated as well, it's important to you know, just reach out to your member of Congress, for example, via their website. If you go on their website, they all have um, a specific link for um, inquiries from constituents, because again, you know, our constituents vote them in office. So it's very important and they want to hear from their constituent base. So you can, uh, you can submit a letter or just follow the, the instructions that they have. And that way you will be able to contact your local official, uh, possibly you know, write a letter if there are some concerns you have or schedule a meeting to meet with them or their staff. And so the other piece of advice I can say is, as Tammy stated, just don't shy away, you know, reach out, express your concerns, seek clarity, and, you know, definitely uh, just continue that dialogue. Uh, thank you, Ashley and Tammy. Um, you know, it's, a, it's so important. It's a part of who we are as Americans. It's our constitutional right to be able to lobby our government. And so I think some people do find it to be intimidating, but you have every right to do so. And quite honestly, I believe it's our responsibility to do so, to hold these individuals accountable. And just because they're elected doesn't mean that um, they don't have a responsibility to respond to our concerns, um, even if we don't see eye to eye on them, they have a responsibility to respond to us. So thank you for your advice and, um, detailing resources and action items that individuals can do to be engaged. Um, but that's the first step, um, doing the research to, to be engaged, asking the question, and then moving forward in that regard. So I think that's so important. I wanna circle back just quickly on, um, before we close out on the mental health piece and policy. Um, you know, right now we're, we're hopefully moving toward the end of this pandemic, individuals are getting their vaccinations. But in the African-American community, there is a real um, challenge and um, 
a concern regarding vaccinations. And um, it's, you know, obviously a physical thing because you have to get the shot that impacts us um, to stop us from getting COVID-19 or, or fighting it off. But also I believe there's a mental issue as well because we're struggling. There's so many individuals who are struggling whether or not to take this vaccination. And I think, you know, I took my vaccination. I'm excited about it. I feel like I'm a prisoner with the past because I get to do things that I haven't done in a year and a half. So I'm excited about it, but there are a lot of individuals and we have to be respectful of their positions because it is um, rooted in fact that African-Americans have been taken advantage of by the medical um, system over the years. Um, and so I would love for you all to just to speak to that a little bit. What are some of the things that you all are doing in your organization to try to help individuals? And, you know, and I shouldn't just say it's African-Americans. There's the numbers are even higher in some areas of the country um, for Caucasians who don't want to take the vaccination. And so what are some of the things that your organization is doing or trying to encourage individuals to be comfortable with um, moving forward in that direction? So um, I will say um, for us, I mean, the vaccine is definitely, so again, early on we did conversations around COVID-19 and providing um, credible information and resources. Um, this next phase we are, um, we'll be hosting virtual conversations as you mentioned, around the vaccine. Um, and we're gonna be concentrating on cities from um, four cities, Atlanta, Chicago, um, Baltimore, and then also California, and maybe five cities, Houston. Um, and so we're going into those areas um, to talk about the vaccine. We have taken the position, um, we, we support the effort of, of you know, equitable distribution of the vaccine. But really more so, we do believe it's a personal decision. And so giving them all the information that they need and really bringing experts to the table to talk about the vaccines. Um, I mean, I'll even say for, you know, you know, after I took the, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, but after I took the vaccine, I definitely understood that position because it's, it's definitely a personal decision. Um, and you do want all the information that you you can be provided. Um, I was actually part of a conversation earlier this week and just even information we all heard about the Johnson Johnson. So what does this mean? Can you tell me what happened in the trials or uh, have people died that actually got the vaccines? Are there people um, that even after they're fully vaccinated, you know, people, are they still getting the vaccine? There's just so many different things coming, but, you know, really bringing those reliable experts to give the actual um, information. Um, and for Black Men's Health Imperative, we're gonna have, we're, um, we're developing a thought uh, COVID-19 vaccine thought leadership council. Um, and this will really be a platform for, for even for Black Men's Health Imperative. So we can also provide credible information and having the different vaccine companies come in and speak to this group, you know, where they can really drill down in terms of what did you see in the trials or, um, you know, tell us about the booster and is it six months or is it 12 months? Um, so I think that the, the key part as we go through this next um, phase is that to really understand, you know, make sure people get the um, full information. And I think to your point or what you mentioned about the mental health aspect, I think that's gonna be a long-term 
um, effect of COVID. And mm-hmm. we're going to be dealing with that for probably years to come. And so really getting a hold and, and, and understanding, um, you know, how we can provide tools and services to people, um, you know, during this time. Because as you, as you said, I mean, we're even from the fear of maybe getting COVID to people actually losing loved ones to just even being in isolation. There's just so many different aspects of it. So, um, you know, we're really preparing in this phase to, um, again, to get information um, and, and, and partner with key folks to provide the tools folks that are necessary. Thanks, Tammy. Um, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that um, because that certainly it is needed. And you're right, I hadn't even thought it about it in that way. You know, this past year is really kind of the phase one, but there's there is a phase two to it. And and how does this how do we how does this movie play itself out? Um, and just for us to be able to be able to attack each um, area that will impact or will continue to impact our lives, and it's particularly for those who are. Um, in situations where they they don't have the resources or underserved um, is so critical. Ashley, would you like to um, weigh in on that as well? Uh, I definitely uh, agree with Tammy and primarily I I defer to her because since I'm so concentrated on this federal, federal legislation and policy, but to that point, you know, from a federal uh, standpoint, I do feel it's very important uh, as Tammy stated, to you know, reach out to uh, the local programs and services, to your congressional offices, uh, seek federal information um, from agencies such as uh, HHS and CDC and FDA. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, do your research. Um, I, I just think it's important for individuals to access all the information that they can. Uh, to to make the best decision for themselves. Um, and again, if they have any issues in doing so, that's what your member, member of Congress is for as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important, and I can't stress enough that, you know, members of Congress, they, they have staff, you know, and so they're well supported. And any questions that anyone may have, they should definitely reach out and say, hey, I have a question about this vaccination. Can you get me more information or who can I speak to? And um, most of the time, staffers, they already have contacts in these federal agencies, right? Mm -hmm. So they can reach out and ask these specific questions to the actual source to provide very helpful and adequate information. So I think that's an important point to make as well. Thank you so much, ladies. And, um, you know, uh, and I will turn it over to Dr. Kim to close this out um, because we've definitely gone over our <laughs> 30 to 40 minutes, but it's such an important and, and, and just um, insightful conversation. Um, but, you know, we as the community, uh, my husband said a term to me this morning, which I think is we have to keep in mind, we can't allow willful ignorance, right? We, we cannot blame everyone else for um, not taking the opportunity to research and learn and educate ourselves. I mean, it's literally, information is literally at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. So we have a responsibility, responsibility to play um, and a role to play in this as well. 
And so that's why it's so important for us. And we're so passionate about having these conversations because we want to make sure if we have the platforms and the uh, ability to know individuals like yourselves and to use our platforms to educate folks, then we should we need to be able to do that. And we have a responsibility to do that. So I thank you for um, being a part of this conversation. Um, and Dr. Kim, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, I just want to say thank you both uh, to you, Ashley, and to you, Tammy, for taking this time. And uh, I agree, we, we have to be good stewards over our health. And part of being good stewards over our health is educating ourselves and it's advocacy. So um, that is why we wanted to talk about policy and advocacy and to talk about um, for mental health in particular, what are some things we can do to make change, um, to uh, live differently and to remove the stigma. We are living in crazy times and um, everyone, I, I know I have been struggling struggling when it comes to maintaining some sanity in the midst of constant adjustment and change. So I'm hoping that as you have listened today, that uh, as our listeners, that um, we want to thank our sponsor, Oscar, for the support that they have given us today to have this courageous conversation. And we hope that you'll continue to have more courageous conversations with the people that are closest to you and that you'll get engaged and be involved when it comes to um, not just education, but advocacy. So thank you so much for being a part of our courageous conversation today. Have a good day. <laughs>